Hi, welcome to the Physionic Podcast. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Nicholas Verhoeven. I'm a PhD student in molecular medicine and I have my master's in exercise physiology. And here on Physionic, we center around learning the body. Uh, if you are just tuning in uh, live, then uh, I've got the study linked for you. But if you're listening to this after the fact on the podcast, or if you're on YouTube watching it, then I have the study that we'll be covering uh, linked for you as well. So the study that we're going to be covering this week is related to saturated fat and its impact on cholesterol as well as our liver health and technically also inflammation, but they don't discuss inflammation too much. So it's probably not going to be a major portion of this podcast. Uh, if you are watching this, I have a series of different graphics that I'm going to throw up on the screen so that it hopefully helps with the edification process in terms of understanding some of the mechanisms that I'm going to be going over. I've been trying to get feedback from people and try to listen to people that have uh, spoken in the comments, discussed, uh, said that certain things were too complex or things that I needed to, to explain further. So hopefully I can do a better job over the coming weeks and months to improve that experience so that people can, uh, can get a better uh, education out of these particular podcasts. Okay, so if you are uh, interested in seeing the actual data for yourself, other than seeing the studies, I'll have kind of highlight data that of course I'll throw up on the screen, but after the fact as well, if you're just listening to the podcast, then uh, you can hop on over to Instagram where I'll be posting some additional information related to this study that I will not be releasing on the podcast. And finally, I also wanted to plug my email list because uh, actually in just a few days, I'm gonna be releasing my monthly email uh, just giving the email list a little bit of extra information that I don't usually release on YouTube, or at least I don't release it on other platforms uh, quite as readily. And as a teaser for uh, this week or this month, I suppose I should say, I'm going to be discussing uh, an ingredient that you may want to look for in your hair products because although it's been touted as something that's actually beneficial for hair growth, it turns out that it is absolutely not. It's actually quite terrible for hair, hair growth. So if you're intrigued, then, and it's not just related to hair, uh, then hop on the email list. I've got the links to everything. Uh, in the description box. All right, let's jump into this podcast. Uh, the, like I said, the purpose of this particular study was uh, that the study wanted to investigate if saturated fat increased cholesterol and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is NAFLD, typically abbreviated, and you might see that on some of the the uh, pop-ups that I'll throw up on the screen, uh, more than polyunsaturated fat, independent of weight. And this is the most exciting part of this entire study, is the fact that this is independent of weight. A lot of the critiques that I have of other studies, and I wouldn't necessarily say that they're critiques, but a huge, I mean, probably the biggest limitation of of any study that I've found when it comes to looking at cholesterol, looking, looking at saturated fat, looking at uh, blood glucose. It could be any different marker within the body that is 
weight. So most studies don't control for that. And when I do find a study that does control for it, it's really exciting because it allows us to tease out, is it weight driven, which it often is, which is probably the biggest driver of a lot of different conditions is weight, uh, or is it because of this particular intervention? In this case, we're talking about saturated fat. So this study is going to allow us to tease out the impact that saturated fat has as opposed to just weight. And it still has some limitations, but I'll go over those as we go through. Okay, so to give you a bit of background information, uh, let me throw up the study title for those of you that are actually watching. Uh, but to give you a bit of background information is that saturated fat is a molecule just like any other molecule. If you think of proteins, proteins are made up of amino acids, which are kind of smaller molecules kind of clumped together to create a larger molecule known as a protein. Uh, if you think of a glucose molecule, if you think of a fructose molecule, a galactose molecule, all of these are molecules. I mean, we're all made up of molecules. And a fat is the exact same thing. So a fat is a substance or a molecule that's made up of really two primary parts. You've got a glycerol section and a fatty acid section. And the fatty acid section is, is usually it's triglycerol. So you have a, a triglyceride, which is three fatty acids that are attached to one glycerol molecule. So in total, you have four molecules, but in terms of the two separate molecules, what they're made up of is fatty acids and glycerol. So if you're watching this and if you're listening to this, don't worry, I'm going to be describing essentially everything that's going to be popping up on screen. So you're not missing out. But again, you're always welcome to check out my Instagram where I'll be posting some of this stuff or the actual uh, video version of this podcast as well. So if you're watching this, I've got a graphic up here and it's really, really simplistic. Obviously it's a far more complex than this, but I don't want to overcomplicate things for the sake of over overcomplicating things. So with saturated fat, you have a fat that is straight. That's all you need to know. It's a straight molecule. You've got the glycerol at the end, and then you've got the, the actual fatty acid, or I guess I should say in this situation, saturated fat is a fatty acid. So it is just that one section of the tri the triacylglycerol molecule, again, the glycerol and the fatty acids. In this situation, saturated fat is a fatty acid. And it's straight in terms of the way that it looks, the way that it's structured. Now, on the other hand, you have unsaturated fatty acids. So unsaturated fatty acids are, you know, the polyunsaturated and the monounsaturated fatty acids. And in these fats, there is a degree of unsaturation. And that is the point at which the fat will bend, will be bent out of shape. And that's what you can see in, in the visual. So a saturated fat is straight and a unsaturated fat, if it's mono or if it's poly, is going to be bent. All you need to know. I just want you to know that information so we can go forward. And I might end up referencing that again uh, in, in the future. Now, some of the predominant thoughts when it came to saturated fat up to this point, up to this study, and certainly probably going forward, is that saturated fat has a series of different 
negative health outcomes. And while this isn't an all-encompassing list, you've got things like metabolic syndrome. So metabolic syndrome is a combination of different things. It's uh, obesity, increases in blood sugar, and uh, honestly, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is also part of it, hypercholesteremia, which is elevated uh, cholesterol levels. All of this stuff has been associated. That's a huge word there, because associated doesn't necessarily mean, of course, causation, as if you've uh, looked at any sort of science, anything, you've probably heard that on multiple occasions, and I've certainly said it on multiple occasions as well. So the idea is that when we've looked at studies in the past, a lot of them have been have been retrospective, meaning that these studies have looked back at the data and or looked at populations and then just made these associations over time. However, there have been also prospective studies that have actually tried to create some sort of intervention, as in given animal, for example, saturated fat or high fat diet, and then seen, okay, is there some sort of an effect? Uh, however, of course, those are animal studies, but it's not impossible to do that in humans. And there have been more and more studies that have come out over time now that have looked at uh, humans as well. And that's exactly what this study tries to do. So, but it has an interesting twist because it looks at a, a variety of different things, but it also looks at the weight independent effects, which is what I was uh, most excited about. So before I go on with that, I also want to describe a physiological process known as de novo lipogenesis. And the reason for that is because uh, throughout the study, they mention this particular process. And this particular process of de novo lipogenesis is essentially just the ability for the body to synthesize its own fat. And that, that's not exclusive to the liver. Uh, the adipocytes do it as well, so our fat cells also do it. And how it works, kind of generally speaking, or relatively generally speaking, is you have the introduction of non-fat molecules. You know, remember how I described that proteins are molecules uh, made up of amino acids, and glucose is a molecule, and fat is a molecule. Well, if you take a non-fat molecules like glucose, and you take uh, proteins, and this can also happen with uh, alcohol as well, uh, so ethanol, and the liver will take it up, in this case we're focusing on the liver, the liver will take it up and then go through a series of different enzymatic reactions to manipulate that molecule and change the chemical structure of that molecule until it spits out a fat. Now, the, the thing I really want to point out, though, is that this fat is not a, just a random fat. It is a specific type of fat, and the reason why I wanted to mention the difference between unsaturated fats and saturated fats was that the liver produces saturated fat. So it will go through this chemical manipulation of these different uh, molecules. Let's take a glucose molecule and it ultimately leads to the production of a molecule known as acetyl-CoA. This acetyl-CoA then goes through a few other transformations and then it gets produced into an unsaturated fat and then from there, it goes through a desaturation 
process where that unsaturated fat, a monounsaturated fat, will then be turned straight to be then a saturated fat. So it goes from bent to being straight. And so far, the evidence has shown that an unsaturated fat is more beneficial to health than saturated fat. But that doesn't necessarily mean that saturated fat doesn't have its role. It just means that if you were to overconsume on something, unsaturated fat has been uh, deemed to be uh, more beneficial than uh, saturated fat. And this study goes into a little bit of that because we're comparing a polyunsaturated fat, which is multiple sites, multiple degrees of unsaturation. Remember how I was mentioning that saturated fats are straight molecules, polyunsaturated fats or unsaturated fats in general have a degree of unsaturation and that degree of unsaturation leads to this, this bending of the molecule. Well, if you have a polyunsaturated fat, then you have uh, multiple degrees of unsaturation. So you have multiple places where the fat is uh, bent. And that is presumably beneficial. So if you think of like, uh, like omega-6s, uh, omega-3s, things like that, those have been touted as highly beneficial to health. So this study or the researchers mentioned that saturated fats have in other studies been shown to increase in cholesterol. But again, these are retrospective studies. A lot of them are. Or they've been paired with weight or they've been paired with other molecules like the consumption of uh, a lot of sugar with saturated fat. I mean, things like that. A bunch of confounding variables. And this has also led to uh, fatty liver disease. But that isn't exactly a huge shock because most people that end up gaining weight uh, do end up having greater issues with their liver. And interestingly, saturated fat seems to promote more of this de novo lipogenesis, at least based off of uh, what, what these researchers have said. And polyunsaturated fat decreases this, polyun this uh, de novo lipogenesis, excuse me. So with saturated fat, you would have the liver producing more fat and polyunsaturated, you would have it producing less fat. Uh, out of these non-fat molecules, glucose, protein, and alcohol. And de novo lipogenesis, although the process is crucial, we need it for, honestly, even for health, although it's associated with worse health outcomes. It's associated with metabolic syndrome, liver damage, things like that. But the, why is that? It's not because the process is occurring. It's because we do have to have that process. If we don't consume any fat whatsoever, which is incredibly unhealthy, and we ultimately will end up dying. But the body does combat that by actually producing its own fat, but it can only produce certain types of fats. And we need a range of different fats, uh, different chain lengths in terms of different molecule lengths of fat that our body needs. And it can only produce uh, certain lengths of fat. The other ones we have to actually consume. So de novo lipogenesis on its own in a vacuum is not necessarily detrimental to, to our body. But when it's paired with uh, being over, you know, overproducing these fats, then yes, it does seem that there's at least an association with worse uh, health outcomes. And not only that, they've also shown, other researchers have shown that saturated fat intake may increase lipolysis. 
Lipolysis is the breakdown of fat. Now you'd think, okay, well, that's, that's a good thing, right? You're breaking down fat. But the, the idea is that uh, apparently, according to these researchers, is that it's through an inflammatory mediated process. So the trigger for that breakdown in fat is not due to kind of conventional means, but through an inflammatory mean. And that leads to that uh, release of fat from adipocytes from fat cells. And we'll touch on that again at the very end. But now I actually want to go into the study design, and then we can look and discuss, uh, for those of you that are listening, uh, the results that they got, and then some potential explanations, as well as the big takeaway. What can we actually walk away uh, with with this study? What What information have we gleaned? So again, if you're watching, I will throw the uh, actual study design up so that you can watch it or look at it for yourself. And it's really simple. They had 61 men and women between the ages 20 and 55 years old that were put into two groups. I imagine you could probably figure out what those two groups were. Uh, there was a saturated fat group and they had a polyunsaturated fat group. And these individuals were left to be in these groups for eight weeks. They were told, okay, you need to consume saturated fat or you need to consume unsaturated fat. Now, obviously you can't just tell people to do that because uh, that takes a lot of training. That takes a lot of work. So the researchers uh, did something really simple. They were like, here is your portion of muffins. <laughs> so that's all they had to do. They had to meet two criteria. One, they had to make sure that these people were gaining weight. And I know I've said that this is weight independent. I'll get to how exactly that that's the case. Uh, so these individuals had to be gaining weight and they had to be uh, consuming either their unsaturated fat or their saturated fat. And these individuals were largely overweight, not obese, but overweight, but overall healthy. So their blood pressure was normal, blood glucose was normal, cholesterol was normal, everything else was normal in terms of different parameters to determine if someone is uh, healthy or not. And they had to, at the end of the study, they had to have gained about 3% of their total body weight, which isn't a massive jump by any means, but we'll see how that kind of plays in into things as well uh, as we go through some of the data. Now, for a great control, and I'm really glad that the researchers ended up doing this, was that they made sure that these muffins were of identical, like in terms of caloric content. So the amount of energy that these muffins uh, provided, and I believe they consumed like three, something like that, um, throughout, throughout each day. So the caloric content was the exact same. The macronutrient di distribution, so in terms of the number of carbohydrates, uh, the, the amount of fat, as well as uh, the amount of protein that was found in each muffin was the exact same. The only difference was the actual structure of the fat. So polyunsaturated or was it saturated? Only difference. And again, that both groups had to uh, be gaining weight over time. And then the researchers measured these individuals' blood cholesterol, their liver fat, uh, their pancreatic fat. So the pancreas is the uh, organ that ends up releasing insulin, for example which is what it's most uh, well known for. Visceral fat, which is the fat that's found around the organs, 
as opposed to subcutaneous fat, which is what's under your skin. If you're trying to get like six pack abs, you're trying to get rid of subcutaneous fat, uh, but visceral fat is more detrimental to health than uh, subcutaneous fat, or at least that's what the research has come to, to that conclusion so far, and a few inflammatory markers. But again, we're not gonna be so focused on that. I'll touch on it just to make sure that I cover it, but we're not gonna be too, too focused on it. Now, here's another brilliant thing about this study is that not only did they gain weight for eight weeks, so they were told, hey, continue to gain weight, and they were checked, of course, to see it are these people gaining weight over the, the course of the study? And if they weren't, then they had uh, their nutrition slightly adjusted. So as in they consumed like an extra muffin or half a muffin or something along those lines. And compliance was actually really great. It was like 93%, 94%, I think for one group and another group was like 97% compliance. So these, uh, these individuals did stick to the diet and they only had one dropout. So out of the 61 participants, uh, one person dropped out which is absolutely fantastic. Now, after those eight weeks of gaining weight, they had a four-week time period after that. So the total study length was 12 weeks, a four-week period where these individuals were then told to get on an 800-calorie diet, which is really low-calorie diet, uh, and try and lose body fat. And then they remeasured their cholesterol levels. So not only are we going to see what happens when these people consume saturated fat and get up to uh, this point where they've gained weight and they've consumed saturated fat and we get this measure of cholesterol. At that point, we're also going to see what happens when they then drop their weight and if their cholesterol can rebound and go back to normal levels. Because again, remember that these individuals were completely healthy other than the fact that they were uh, slightly overweight. Okay, so now let me make sure that I throw this up here for everyone who's watching. Oh, wrong one. We'll get to that. Talking about cholesterol. So let's go into a little bit of the data on cholesterol. So we're really focused on two, well, I guess three different outcomes. One, we're looking at LDL cholesterol. Two, we're looking at HDL cholesterol, and then we're going to look at a combination of the two, so total cholesterol, which is really a combination of IDL cholesterol, VLDL cholesterol, HDL, I mean, all kinds of different types of cholesterol. And again, I, I need to repeat this, that this isn't technically looking at cholesterol itself. It's looking at particles or vessels like UPS trucks that hold cholesterol within them. But essentially how it works is that the liver will produce these LDL, these LDL particles as well as HDL particles and send them out into the bloodstream. And LDL is packaged within it, has cholesterol in it. So the more LDL particles you have, the assumption is that you have more overall cholesterol. And these LDL particles will then deliver cholesterol, again, like UPS, to all these different tissues. And once it's delivered all of its cholesterol that it can, if there's still cholesterol left over, then you still have elevated uh, LDL cholesterol. Now, HDL, on the other hand, does, it's like shipping cholesterol from the periphery, from the other cells of the body. So think of like muscle cells, for example, uh, or pancreatic cells or whatever it might be. Just any, any tissue that's in the body that's not the liver will then dump cholesterol into HDL particles. And those will then deliver that cholesterol back to the liver where it is then uh, 
dealt with. And there are a number of different ways that it can deal with it by either decreasing synthesis, and the same thing happens with LDL. Some excess LDL particles will end up at the liver where they attach to uh, LDL receptors, so different proteins that essentially sense if uh, there's elevated LDL, and will then be internalized, and the liver will then for lack of a better word, decide, okay, we need to reduce synthesis because we have too much uh, LDL and we need to start dumping the actual cholesterol molecule uh, out of the system. And it does that by, well, you literally just poop out the, the extra uh, cholesterol that you have in a normal situation. Now, there are certainly people out there that have uh, genetic variations and issues where their liver doesn't function that way. Or if they are massively over-consuming on, uh, well, just in general, or massively over-consuming on uh, different molecules, I don't want to give too much away at this point, but massively over-consuming on particular molecules, and that leads to um, the liver then being completely overwhelmed, and it has to keep pumping it into LDL particles and pumping it out into the bloodstream. Okay, so what do we see, right? LDL is quote-unquote bad cholesterol. HDL is quote-unquote good cholesterol. Now, the way that they showed the data here, and again, if you're listening to this, don't worry, I'm going to explain things, uh, is that they sh they're showing the relative difference between the group that consumed the unsaturated fats compared to the group that consumed the saturated fats. So any elevation, any change that you see is uh, against the saturated fat. So if you see elevation, which if you're actually looking at the data, and I'll again explain it, total cholesterol is increased in this situation. So that means that sat the saturated fat group had elevated cholesterol over the unsaturated fat group. And keep in mind that these both of these groups are gaining weight at the same level. So there were no differences between the groups at the beginning of the study, and they both gained roughly the same amount of body fat as well as body weight, et cetera, et cetera. So that is staying stable, stable as in it's increasing at the same rate. But oddly enough, in the saturated fat group, you do see elevated levels of total cholesterol. Now, what about uh, LDL cholesterol? Again, you see increases in that LDL cholesterol and non-HDL cholesterol, which is, which is made up of VLDL cholesterol, which is also released from the liver, IDL cholesterol. I mean, I'm not going to go into all the different types of cholesterol, but there's VLDL, IDL, HDL, LDL, and I think there's UDL is another one. And then you have different iterations within those, those uh, classes of cholesterol. It gets pretty complex. So again, I'm not going to go too much into it, but non-HDL cholesterol is not something you want to see that's increasing as well. And unfortunately for the saturated fat group, you do see increases in that, uh, that specific parameter. And finally in HDL, you don't see a change, which means that the HDL particles aren't uh, aren't increasing, which is the thing that you actually want. You you want L you want the LDL particles to decrease, and you want the HDL particles to increase. But unfortunately, you're seeing the exact opposite in the saturated fat condition. So, for those individuals, you're seeing elevated LDL and decreases in HDL, which is, uh, well, maybe not decreases in HDL, but you're seeing no change in HDL, so no improvement at least. 
And then another odd thing was that their triglycerides remained relatively the same. So usually you have this kind of in combination increase of LDL particles as well as triglycerides. But unfortunately, uh, that that didn't happen, which was kind of a, a strange occurrence in this situation. And uh, they do offer some potential explanation for that as we as we get near the discussion section of this study. Okay, so one qualm that I have with this particular way of showing the data is that although you're showing that there is a difference between the saturated fat group and the polyunsaturated fat group, the issue with that is that you're not showing them side by side. So you don't, you can't necessarily say that, uh, you can say that there's a difference between the two, but you can't necessarily say that it's not because the polyunsaturated group dropped their cholesterol. Maybe the saturated fat group maintained their cholesterol and the polyunsaturated fat group dropped their cholesterol, and that's why you have a difference. Now, ultimately, that turns out not to be the case, and uh, based off of other literature as well, most likely that's not what's happening. But based on other literature, we do know that polyunsaturated fat does decrease cholesterol. So there might be a kind of a, a, a double effect there. So if the, the dramatic rise in cholesterol is completely because of saturated fat's fault, we can't necessarily say that. But I think it's pretty safe to say that there is an increase in total LDL, non-HDL cholesterol when it comes to the consumption of uh, the saturated fat. Okay, so then they wanted to look at, and this is, I, I really, I was happy that they looked at this as well, but they wanted to look at some potential mechanisms because if you have an increase in cholesterol, why is that, right? I mean, do you, do you is that because the liver is synthesizing more uh, LDL particles because it can't handle the amount of cholesterol that's coming in or that it's generating so much cholesterol uh, leading to this, this overproduction of LDL? Or is it not dumping it efficiently? Is it, uh, are the enzymes still upregulated where you've got more of these enzymes that are producing cholesterol? Is the factory not shutting down part of its processes to handle this excess cholesterol? What's going on there? So they looked at two different markers, and although they didn't actually show the data for this, um, which is really unfortunate, I, I do wish that they had shown this, but um, they looked at a marker, a blood marker, of uh, cholesterol synthesis, and they found that it was not elevated. So it was not elevated with the saturated fat group. So the cholesterol synthesis, the at least based off of this one marker, the, the actual production of more cholesterol was not elevated with saturated fat. So what's going on then? Then maybe on the back end, then the liver isn't dumping uh, enough cholesterol, and then, you know, we're excreting it out. Uh, on, on the back end. So then they looked at a, <laughs> a particular protein, which I did create a graphic for this as well. Uh, hopefully this, this helps you understand it. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a complex protein. It's called PCSK9 or proprotein convertase substilicin <laughs> kexin 9. Please forgive me, but I will not be saying that throughout the podcast. Uh, I'm going to call it P PCSK, uh, just PCSK or P PCSK9. And what it is, is it's a protein. Uh, that protein 
I briefly described this. So let me let me actually describe what it would normally happen again. If your liver is functioning normally, and it typically is, so if you're alive, your liver's probably doing at least some level of this, maybe a little bit worse for some people and a little bit better for others, you have these receptors that kind of stick out of the liver cells. So you've got millions and millions of liver cells that make up your liver. And each one of those liver liver cells, known as hepatocytes, they have these little proteins known as receptors, and they have a particular shape. They look a certain way. Uh, Think of it like a key or a keyhole. So they are the keyhole, and if you have an LDL particle that that binds to that receptor, the receptor will latch onto it, and then the cell will take the receptor plus the LDL particle into itself. So the cell is now sucking up its own receptor that's been sticking out of itself, and then will dissociate the LDL particle, which is hopefully at least partially empty of cholesterol, and dispose of that, so it'll dump that, and then it will recycle the LDL receptor back up to the cell membrane. That's how it's supposed to happen. And when that happens, there's a lot of signaling going on within the cell and it's reading, okay, we're getting tons of LDL particles binding to a ton of our receptors. We gotta do something about this. So then the liver starts dumping cholesterol and it starts to downregulate. Normally, it would start to downregulate or decrease the amount of cholesterol that it packages into LDL particles to send those out because it wants to limit the amount that are actually binding to these LDL receptors. So the LDL receptors are serving two functions. One, they're controlling the amount of cholesterol in the body, in the actual bloodstream. And two, they're also sensing it. So they're actually telling the liver, hey, this is how much we have. Not that they're sitting down around a round table and having this discussion, but it's just through biochemical processes this happens. So that's how it would normally happen. However, going back to PC, PSCK, this protein can bind the LDL receptor And the same process will happen where the LDL receptor will be taken up by the hepatocyte, by the liver cell. But instead of recycling this this LDL receptor back up to the membrane, it destroys the LDL receptor. So now you've got fewer LDL receptors that are actually sitting there sensing the amount of cholesterol that is uh, bound to... Uh, the the LDL receptor. So the liver then has a harder time actually figuring out uh, how much LDL is actually circulating in, in the bloodstream, how many of these LDL particles. So clearly you can see how that would be a problem because then suddenly you're not sensing the amount that's actually available or if you have too much of it or if you have too little of it or whatever might be the case. Uh, However, what these researchers found is that PCSK9 is not elevated with saturated fat. Now, why did I tell you this? Well, one, because I, was, I, I wanted to make sure that uh, 
I mean, one, why not? But secondly, because of an education, uh, it's interesting to know some of these mechanisms. So you have some understanding of how intricate the, the liver is, is negotiating how it functions with all these different proteins. I've just mentioned one. I mean, P, PSCK is just one of these proteins that regulates the LDL receptor and thereby regulates uh, cholesterol. But if it's not elevated, why are we actually discussing this? And I want you to think about this critically because just because you're looking at one marker of something that binds to something else does not necessarily mean that you don't have issues with sensing cholesterol. So this PCSK was not elevated in, satur in the saturated fat group, nor was it elevated in the polyunsaturated group. So, okay, that's fine, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the liver still isn't struggling to actually sense cholesterol. And that is what I would say is a limitation of this study. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a limitation, but I think that they extrapolated uh, certain information they, they said, well, there's potentially nothing wrong with the liver, and I would not agree with that uh, overall thought process. So I know it's a long story, but it, I, it's, it's really important that we look at these kinds of things and be incredibly critical, uh, you know, in a constructive way, to really understand that just because you have a measure of something doesn't mean that it tells the entire story. So looking at both of these measures, the marker of cholesterol synthesis, and looking at this one protein that binds to the LDL receptor, that doesn't tell you a full story. That doesn't tell you, like if they had, if they had measured the LDL receptor itself, the amount of the LDL receptor, that would have told us a lot more information. Now, the problem with that is that we can't do that in humans. We can't tell people, hey, would you mind if we drill a hole in your body and stick a tube and just snip some of your liver off, <laughs> and then we're going to quantify the amount of LDL receptor. That's pretty unethical. Uh, so <laughs> we usually do that in, unfortunately, uh, in humans, or not, not humans, in animals, because it allows us to, we don't have to have consent, and of course, uh, we make animals make sure that the animal suffers the least amount that it possibly can. But unfortunately, that is part of science. We need to have mechanistic data. We need to actually understand how these things work. And doing that in humans isn't a viable option. So that's why they use this these kind of peripheral markers to try and determine, well, maybe what's going on here. And if they had found something, then maybe they could have found one of the mechanisms or two of the mechanisms for why uh, this saturated fat condition group has elevated cholesterol. But since we didn't see anything that doesn't, the absence of evidence doesn't mean that nothing is happening in this situation. Okay. I know that was long, but let me move on to the liver. Okay. So this podcast was not just talking about cholesterol. Uh, we also wanted to discuss, uh, the liver. So here they're looking at the liver markers or really looking at the fattiness of the liver. And the reason why it's called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, NAFLD, is because you are getting a fattiness around the liver that is not induced by, well, obviously alcohol, like it mentioned. So if you are an alcoholic, 
you can have cirrhosis of the liver, or you can have a fatty liver that can that can be produced because of what I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, or somewhat at the beginning of this podcast in the introduction, that you have increases in de novo lipogenesis, the, the self-production of the body using other molecules that are non-fat. Again, in this situation, we're talking about alcohol. So alcohol can be used to produce fat, and that leads to a fatty liver. So that is a fatty liver disease or alcohol fatty liver disease. But in this situation, we're not looking at alcohol. So if you're looking at the data, again, I just I, I know I want to I keep repeating myself, but I want to make sure that the people that are just listening to this understand you're not missing out on a whole lot. Um, you're just missing out on a few graphics. That's it. But with the use of saturated fats after eight weeks, we do see a significant difference, a significant elevation in fatty liver with the use of saturated fat compared to polyunsaturated fat. So polyunsaturated fat group did not see an increase. And keep in mind that both groups are gaining weight. So both groups are gaining fat mass, but yet the saturated fat group is seeing this detrimental impact on the uh, liver. And we're going to discuss really how detrimental that is in just a minute. Now, they also looked at the pancreas, which I mentioned at the beginning as well, but they did not find that effect. So this is specific to the liver. We're not seeing it in the pancreas. Then they looked at visceral fat, and uh, they did not find an effect with the visceral fat fat either, although I'm questioning that a little bit. And I mean, I'm going to go based off of what the data is here, because that's what you should do. But I wonder if they had run it for 12 weeks or 16 weeks where these people are continuing to gain weight on saturated fat or unsaturated fat, if you wouldn't eventually see an increase in that visceral fat specifically in the saturated fat condition. Who knows? But what we have so far is that there was no difference between the unsaturated fat and the saturated fat conditions when it came to visceral fat. Again, that fat that's around the organs, that's the most detrimental to our health, as opposed to subcutaneous, which is under our skin. And then they looked at total fat, so just overall fat across the body. I believe they used a pretty sensitive method, which is called BODPOD. Uh, It's not as sensitive as like a DEXA scan or hydrostatic weighing, but it's still pretty sensitive. And Again, they found no differences or no statistically significant differences between the two groups. So the only difference that they found, and this is really interesting, is in the liver. They saw greater fattiness after only eight weeks. They saw greater fattiness with uh, the consumption of saturated fats. Okay, so now I just want to touch on inflammation, then I'm going to discuss what happened when they lost weight after they had gained weight. And we saw this, you know, dysregulation of cholesterol. We saw a dysregulation of the liver. And then I'm going to go into a few of the different uh, potential mechanisms as to why this might be happening. And then the big takeaway from this. So in inflammation, they didn't actually show any data for this, but they looked at C-reactive protein, which is something that's released by the liver. Uh, They looked at uh, TNF receptors, a tumor necrosis receptor. I don't, actually know why they looked at the receptor specifically. Uh, Usually you look at the actual molecule itself, so tumor necrosis factor. 
And they also looked at a variety of different cellular adhesion molecules. These molecules are telling, not necessarily completely causative, but telling of the cardiovascular health of the body. Cardiovascular system being the arteries, uh, the, the blood vessels of the body. And they found no differences, which is actually different from what other studies have found, that other studies have shown at least an association between saturated fat and inflammation as a whole. But this study found no differences. Now, again, that could be because there wasn't a long enough time period, but at least we did see differences in the liver and we did see differences in cholesterol. So who knows? Another thing they looked at was free radicals, which are just molecules that are... Again, I don't want to get too, too in-depth with this, but essentially they're unhappy molecules. They just go around and they wreak havoc on all the other molecules around them. They're, they're kind of bullies. They, t they rip away uh, chemical properties of other molecules and keep them for themselves. And it leads to all the other molecules around them becoming really unhappy and unstable. And that's really the big point, that they, they lose their functionality. So a, a fat molecule can't function like a fat molecule. Protein molecule can't function like a protein molecule, et cetera, et cetera. So, but they did find, again, that there were no differences in that free radical damage uh, between the saturated fat and uh, unsaturated fat. Now, here's another interesting point is I mentioned that we're going to discuss liver one more time. Now, they looked at a specific liver enzyme, which is abbreviated as ALT. You'll, you usually see uh, ALT and AST. Those are kind of the two big liver enzymes because they're specific or at least highly uh, available. There's a lot of this particular liver enzyme that's found in the liver. It's not found in other areas of the body. So if you see high levels of it, that's kind of circulating in the bloodstream. That's not a great sign. It's like, it's, it's a little bit akin to like seeing smoke. Uh, if you're seeing a lot of smoke, there's probably a fire around. And that's exactly what this, uh, enzyme, if you find a lot of it in the bloodstream, that means that probably the liver's in trouble. Something's going on. So they measured this liver enzyme. And you can actually get this tested anytime. I mean, if you go to the doctor's office, uh, if you just look up on your sheet uh, when they test your blood and they give you your results back, uh, if you see ALT, that's what I'm talking about. This is this specific enzyme. So if it's within normal ranges, then you know your liver's pretty healthy. It's doing okay. And in this situation with the saturated fat group, they saw an increase by 18% in the saturated fat group. So a significant increase in this ALT. So what does that mean? That is not a good sign for uh, the saturated fat condition uh, because what this means is that the liver cells are dying. So certain liver cells are starting to uh, undergo some level of cell death, which is ultimately leading to this leaking of this ALT molecule or enzyme protein, however you want to define it. They're all, they're all the same. They're all correct. So ALT then leaks out of a damaged fatty liver. And this would also happen with like cirrhosis of the liver. It's essentially the liver, not exactly telling, it's like being forced to convey this point of, okay, we got a major problem here because the liver cells are starting to die off. Now, fortunately, the liver can regenerate, but still, do you really want that? Do you really want your liver to be under that undue amount of stress. 
And the answer is probably not. But they did not see that with the unsaturated fat group. So again, this again implicates saturated fat, that you see this uh, increase in uh, this leakage of ALT. Okay, so that was my inflammation section. Not too much, but still I wanted to cover that. And now weight loss. What happened after, okay, they gained weight for eight weeks. They're consuming either saturated fat. They're either consuming unsaturated fat. We've seen the differences in cholesterol, liver, pancreas, overall fat, inflammation. What happens to specifically cholesterol? They only looked at cholesterol for this four weeks of pretty extreme dieting at consuming only 800 calories. And do I genuinely believe that these people stuck to consuming only 800 calories? No, I don't. Uh, because going from gaining weight for eight weeks to suddenly getting cut down to 800 calories, that's a drastic difference. They might be able to keep that up for like a week, but eventually your body starts to fight back. And they didn't do a whole lot of controls for this. But does it matter? No, it doesn't. Ultimately, what matters is that they, that both groups lose the roughly the same amount of weight, which was the case. They lost roughly the same amount of weight. And what happened? Well, they didn't show the data for this, but they, they did mention what actually happened. And according to the researchers, we see a reduction back of cholesterol back to normal values in four weeks time of losing body weight and body fat. And that the liver enzymes that I just mentioned, the ALT, uh, return back to normal values, or at least return back to what the values were for the polyunsaturated group, which was normal. So what does this tell us? It tells us that, uh, it, it actually does not tell us that if you cut out saturated fat, that your levels will return back to normal because at this point they had been, I believe they had been taken off of their muffin diet because consuming a, a really high fat muffin when you only have 800 calories, that's essentially all you're going to be eating. Uh, just like a muffin a day, which is pretty extreme. I'm sure for you intermittent fasters, you're probably scoffing. You don't care. But for, for a lot of other people, that would be really hard to do. So, is it because of the, the, the getting rid of saturated fat or is it because you're getting rid of the body weight? We don't know that. So while the other one, we could distinguish between the two, now we can't. Uh, and ultimately though, however, reducing their caloric intake and reducing their body weight and getting rid of their high saturated fat diet led to uh, then returning back to normal in cholesterol and liver health, which is fantastic. I do not believe that they measured the fatness of the liver, but I imagine it would also return back to normal, or at least, uh, at least it wouldn't get worse, but I imagine it returned back to normal. Okay. So as a quick discussion, I want to quick discuss kind of everything. Uh, and then I'll give you the big takeaway from, from this uh, particular study. What can we actually walk away from? Uh, this and, and glean from it. So saturated fats increase cholesterol and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, as evidenced in the increase that we saw in cholesterol, increased fat deposition in the liver, and increased liver damage. 
Uh, in contrast, however, so we've been so focused on the, the saturated fats, the polyunsaturated fats, however, protected the liver. So it actually, they, they did mention this, and I don't know if it was actually statistically significant, but they said that there was a slight reduction in, in liver fatness. Uh, so at the very least, polyunsaturated fats don't hurt the liver. And it sort of helps the liver because if you're gaining weight, these polyunsaturated fats seems to kind of protect uh, the liver from getting its overall fatness uh, from the weight gain or weight gain induced problems. Uh, they found no, so this was interesting. They also measured the actual uptake, the actual uh, consumption by the liver of these saturated fats. So if you're consuming saturated fats, they enter your intestines, they get broken down, they enter your bloodstream, you have this elevation in saturated fats, where are they going? Okay. One of the areas that they might go is the liver. And then the idea is, okay, well, maybe because of this high increase in saturated fats, that it's entering the liver, it's stimulating this, this production of cholesterol, and therefore it's producing uh, these effects, increases in cholesterol and whatnot. But interestingly, they did not find that there was an added uh, uptake of saturated fats by the liver. So then where are we getting these effects? Why are we seeing increases in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, for example? And they think that there's some other mechanism, that there's some other way that saturated fats are having a negative impact on the liver in this situation, that there is an increase in de novo lipogenesis. Now, again, remember that de novo lipogenesis isn't turning a fat into a fat, okay? It's turning a glucose molecule, protein, and, and well, an alcohol molecule, although we're really more focused on the first two, into a fat. And these people are overconsuming food in general because they're gaining weight. So saturated fat may not directly lead to this production of de novo light, to, to this production of cholesterol, but through de novo lipogenesis, saturated fat may indirectly promote de novo lipogenesis by maybe binding the, the liver cells uh, and having some sort of receptor that, that recognizes saturated fat. And then it leads to signaling within the cells that lead to de novo lipogenesis. Um, or maybe cholesterol uh, binds to the, to the hepatocytes. I mean, it, that we're not going to have answers to that, at least not based off of this study. But what we do know is that saturated fats themselves didn't enter the liver and lead to this overproduction or this overconsumption of fat, where the liver was starting to have this fattiness because of the extra circulating saturated fats directly, but maybe indirectly. And then they quickly addressed that uh, it could be due to this increase in lipolysis from the fat cells. And I mentioned this at the introduction that other research has shown that saturated fats uh, then increase the uh, amount of lipolysis or the release of fats from fat cells. And they found no evidence in non-esterified uh, fatty acids, which essentially is saying that there's no evidence of increased release of fatty acids from uh, the adipocytes, the adipose tissue, the fat tissue. Um, but they thought that maybe it could be due to uh, increases in chylomicrons. Chylomicrons are a little bit like LDL particles that transport cholesterol to the rest of the body. Chylomicrons will transport cholesterol and fats and stuff like that from the 
from the intestinal cells to the liver and deposit uh, fats and cholesterols. So it's probably not inflammation mediated. That's essentially the big point that they're trying to get across here. Okay, so the big takeaway as I finish this off, it's been a long time. I've been talking a lot of science at this point. Um, the big takeaway is according to the study, there is evidence that saturated fat slightly increases cholesterol and increases non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in healthy individuals. Okay, they are overweight, but they are technically healthy. Their cholesterol was perfectly normal before. And the big point here that I was super excited about is that it's independent of weight. Even though both, even though they did gain weight, the other group also gained weight. So at the very least, what we can conclude is that polyunsaturated fats are better than saturated fats, unequivocally, like point blank. Polyunsaturated fats are better than saturated fats. But the cholesterol effects are reversed by either weight loss or the removal of saturated fats from the diet. However, consuming polyunsaturated fat protects against cholesterol increase and liver fatness in spite, this is big, in spite of weight gain. So even though you're gaining weight, polyunsaturated fats protect your cholesterol levels and protect your liver from damage as well as fatness in general. Okay, that was a lot of information. Uh, again, just as a reminder, if you would like to actually see the data, I will have the study linked for you. Uh, also, I have I will have some of the graphics and whatnot on Instagram, so you can check those out, or you can, of course, check out the video version of this podcast, although I do discuss a little bit more in depth on Instagram, so be sure to follow me there. And check out the email list again, just as a quick reminder, because uh, I do... I will be releasing some content that's not going to be releasing on any other platform for probably a good like six weeks. So if you're concerned about hair loss, this would be the month to, to sign up to the email list. Okay, hopefully you got something out of this. Hopefully you found this informative. And as always, I really genuinely hope that I have the pleasure of speaking with you in the next one. Have a good one, guys. See ya.